if you're concerned, I have been sick. I do feel much better. I'm good enough to preach, not good enough to shake hands. So that's where we're at right now. Um, so I won't be shaking any hands today, but I'm feeling much better and uh, thankful to be able to open the Word with you today. This is part two in a short series on prayer. And really, my goal in these two, uh, these two sessions together with you has been to provide both spiritual motivation and also practical guidance for developing a more robust prayer life. I think all of us, when we hear a topic like prayer, all of us say, you know what, I need to do that more, or I need to do that better. And often it can be a moment of discouragement. And I hope that these two weeks will not be that for you. That instead, when you hear prayer, that now you feel the call from God to actually step into prayer. Now, we all need these kinds of practical helps and practical kind of uh, step-by-step guides on how it is that we can improve. I don't know what for you is kind of like the moment of adulthood, but as a as a child, I always kind of thought there were some things that were just kind of germane to being a man. One of those was being able to work on, like, cars, you know? And those of you who know me know that clearly I'm not yet a man, all right? That's not really my thing. Uh, but I do remember one lesson I was taught from my dad about cars. I'm not going to drag my dad through the mud here, though. He was a, a very skilled man. He just was busy, and I, I have a very bad memory, so I'm sure he taught me much more than this. But one day, I remember he said, hey, Chris, I want to teach you how to do something on a car. And I thought, okay, this is the moment where I'm going to step into manhood. And I walked outside, and he had something small in his hand, and he went to the back of our bright red 12-passenger Chevy van and undid the little latch that held the taillight cover on. Then he took the bulb that was dead, and he unscrewed it. It was like a screwable thing. Unscrewed it, and he took his new bulb, which is the thing he had in his hand, and he screwed it in, and he said, that is how you change the taillight. And I thought, I think I could have figured that one out. That, that, was, that was the only lesson I remember about cars. I'm sure he taught me more than that. At one point, we changed out an alternator, but I was already uh, post-college at that point, I think. But there's these kinds of moments where you want practical help and practical steps. And what I hope is that today is more than just a taillight fix for you, that instead what it really does is give you the tools you need to grow yourself into prayer. And I trust that uh, as we go through this, that'll be a real benefit. Today is going to be a much different sermon than I typically and that is it'll be much more like a Sunday school lesson where I hope to kind of give you the equipment you need to grow rather than going through a specific passage kind of from start to finish. Now last week we looked at this call from Jesus to prayer in Luke chapter 11. Even if you weren't here, I just want to refresh your mind briefly on some of the things that we learned. One is that Jesus did give us some content emphases in our prayer. You might remember that he encouraged us to pray for God's, uh, the things that God, that are important to God like his, his name, and that his, his rule would reign. And he also encouraged us that when we pray for our own individual needs, to not just pray for the physical, but to also pray for spiritual needs. But in all of this, what we found is that Jesus was very brief on the content template and very heavy on another thing that we often forget that is often the real reason why we pull back in prayer. It's the reason why when you hear somebody announce prayer, you think, oh no. And that is our heart towards God in prayer or maybe more importantly said, God's heart towards us. So Jesus highlights God's heart towards petitioners. You might remember that Jesus gave several illustrations to teach us how God sees us when we come to him in prayer. That God is eager for us to be there. That the call to prayer is an invitation. It's not a club. That when God says, I want you to come to me, this isn't an accusation. It's rather an invitation to a relationship. That God is eager for you to knock on his door. Go to him first, he says. On top of that, that even when he doesn't give you what you need, what you ask for specifically, that God is always giving you what you need. He's always giving you 
good. So Jesus is intent on us understanding God's heart towards us in prayer. And it's actually this that I think is one of Satan's greatest ploys in convincing us to not pray. We assume that God is very much like an earthly father, perhaps, or like an earthly friend who would help us if we ask, but doesn't really want us to come to him. And Jesus could not paint a more different picture. It's the exact opposite with, with God. When we come to him, he's the one who's already prompted us. He's told us how to pray. He's told us to come to him. He's the one with his hand on the door saying, I hope they knock on my door. This heart towards God in us in prayer is one of the great motivators to pray. I trust that through these two weeks that you'll feel that call from God to step out in, in prayer. Be more consistent in your prayer, not as an obligation or as a mere duty, but because you sense God's heart towards you. There's a, a famous book written by C.S. Lewis called The Screwtape Letter. It's an odd name because it's the name of a fictitious demon, right? Screwtape. It's a, a letter, a grouping of letters from this demon uncle to his nephew. And the intention is to kind of turn a lot of spiritual truths and look at it in a different light. Throughout the letters, the demon uncle gives his nephew tips on basically how to help guide his patient, the Christian, away from the faith. And in doing that, it kind of sets our temptations and the things we face in a different light and allows us to see them perhaps as the enemy would see them. In one of those chapters, chapter 4, Screwtape, this uncle, writes to his nephew like this. He says, it is high time for me to write you fully on the painful subject of prayer. The best thing, where it is possible, is to keep the patient, that's the Christian, from serious intention of praying altogether. And often when we hear prayer, that's exactly what happens to us. We think, I'm not good at it. I don't enjoy it. I don't know how to do it. I just won't. Prayer itself is such a powerful tool that even in this fictitious example of how to guide a Christian away from faith, prayer is one of the few things throughout the entire series of letters that he says, don't even let him get close to this. He'll often say, let him get close to religiosity. Let him serve in the church, but make him think about himself only. There are lots of things that we can do within the Christian life that, if guided properly in, in Screwtape's mind by the enemy, would guide us away from God. But prayer is not one of those. Prayer is a powerful weapon because it connects us to God himself. I hope then, through these two weeks, to give you the motivation you need and some practical guidance to step into a life of prayer. Now, if we could, let me just detail some of the problems that we face during prayer. You don't have to write all of these down, but again, this is more of a, a lesson, a Sunday school lesson, and I want us to kind of think through why is it that we fail to pray. First of all, don't we just often repeat the same things or we just run out of things to say, right? I mean, think about our common problems. If you were to poll a, a group of any size, the common problems would be the kind of physical things we struggle with, right? Our, our work situations relationships in our life. We, we face the same kinds of things. We aren't unique, right? We, we share the same kinds of struggles, and so we often say the same things to God about them. And for this reason, a lot of times, we don't feel like praying, right? We keep saying the same things about the same things, and after a while, it just, we lose all motivation. One writer put it like this, a great many Christians conclude, it must be me. Something's wrong with me. If I get bored into something as important as prayer, I must be some kind of second-rate Christian. And so it doubles down in our discouragement in prayer. Perhaps this, that we pray out of balance. You think about the way that the Bible teaches us to pray, that if you were to listen to the Bible, it teaches us to cry out in petition or confession or praise or supplication or adoration or thanksgiving or even imprecatory prayers. And 
Yet often our prayers sound very similar, don't they? They're narrow in scope, whereas the Bibles are broad in scope. Or perhaps this, that we focus wrongly on ourselves, that if I were to kind of sample your prayer life, it would only be about your individual concerns. Never concerns for the lost world around us, never concerns for other brothers or sisters in Christ, never concerns for the global church. Never patterned after the kinds of things that Jesus talked about in Luke chapter 11 last week. Or often we get discouraged and we say things like that. I'm, I'm such a bad Christian. I, I don't enjoy this. I, I, this is like central to the Christian faith and I don't really do it at all. Maybe for years you've said, January 1st, it's like, I'm going to do it this year. Perhaps like many gyms around America, your prayer life looks a lot like that, where you see people pulling cables the way they should be pulled and pulling back muscles that you know aren't the way they're supposed to be pulled, and after a week or two, they just give up. Maybe that's how your prayer life looks like. Maybe we just simply get distracted. I actually took a class in seminary when I was going through my grad school work on prayer. One of our requirements was to pray a certain amount of time each day as a matter of practice, to actually put into practice what we were learning. I remember that what I would do is I'd set a timer, and I would walk around my room and pray. The trouble with walking around my room is that everything in my room reminded me of something else I needed to do. Like, I'd walk and be like, well, there's dishes. Maybe I should pray while I wash the dishes. And the efficiency in my brain said I could do two things at once, right? Then I'd walk by our bed and say, oh, I didn't make that this morning. I should probably do that too. And then I'd see a book. I need to write that, read that later. So I'd write that down. And pretty soon, 10 minutes had gone by, and I really hadn't prayed at all. Isn't it just easy as a human to get distracted in prayer? I finally... We lived on a, a hall uh, in the kind of the first floor of a dormitory. And there were several blank dormitory rooms with nothing in them, but just bare mattresses and like wooden bunk beds. And I had to just lock myself in one of those rooms and walk around because I still got distracted, but it wasn't nearly as bad. Maybe you feel that as well. Or perhaps you simply get bored. A writer says this, notice carefully that the problem is not that we pray about the same old things. The problem is that we say the same old things about the same old things. Right? The, the our problems we have are normal to us, but how we talk up to God about them is often the, the issue. This feeling is often compounded when we feel like poor readers of the Bible. So the result is that most people choose one of three options. They simply do the duty mindlessly. You just pray because you know you're supposed to, and you get it done with, and you check it off, and you're done for the day. Or they do just enough, but kind of half-heartedly in discouragement. I pray at meals. I pray before I go to bed, I guess I pray. Or often, they just fail to pray altogether. What I want to do is take some of these problems we have and really apply the Bible's teaching to us in a way that helps us get a practical help for how to actually become people of prayer. The solution I'm going to recommend to you is a simple one. It's simply this, to pray the Bible. To pray the Bible. Praying Praying the Bible is a God-appointed way to teach us the grammar of prayer, how we should talk in prayer. Now, I'm not simply saying that you should pray. I'm not simply saying that you should pray biblically. I'm not simply saying that you should only pray the Bible or that you should pray only prayers back in the Bible to God. What I'm saying is that you should use the Bible as a help in your own prayer. And here I'd like you to turn to a couple of examples with me to see that this really is the way the Bible teaches us how we should develop our own prayer life. First of all, if you would turn with me to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9, and I did not grab the pew Bible numbers for this, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to say. In Daniel chapter 9, we find a, one of many examples like this. This one, very literally praying the Bible back to God. Daniel is in captivity, 
and he's reading through the scrolls, and he finds this section in Jeremiah that describes what will happen after a certain number of years that they'll be returned to the promised land. Daniel chapter 9, verse 2, it says that in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord, the Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. He's reading the Bible. He sees something that God said is going to happen. He starts counting up the dates and realizes, hey, this, this should be happening. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession. And he goes on to talk about describing the people's sins and asking God to do what he said he would do. A very realistic example of reading the Bible and then responding to that in prayer. This is one of many examples we see throughout the, New uh, throughout the Old and the New Testament. A famous one that's a little bit different in flavor, not where somebody has read the Bible and then responds to it, but rather has so filled themselves with Bible that their prayers sound like Bible. It's found in Luke chapter 1. Turn there with me as well. Luke chapter 1 comes from a teenage girl by the name of Mary. In your Bible, most likely you've got little, most Bibles have little tiny letters next to certain words in a passage. I want you to look at chapter 1, verse 46. You'll notice that this is Mary's song of praise after she's been told about this coming Messiah, all the way through verse 55. Now, I don't know about you, but in my Bible, you see all those little numbers or all those little letters next to all those passages. She simply says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. And then she starts to speak in a way that sounds very much like the Bible. In fact, if you were to look down, like for me, if I look down at verse 46, I've got in my footnotes passages that connect to things like Psalm 35 or Isaiah 61 or Habakkuk 3.18 or Psalm 106. Um, verse 48 points to First uh, Samuel 1, Psalm uh 138, all of these passages, Psalm 72, Malachi 3.12, she's referencing and alluding to these passages. The Bible is so filtrated into her heart, infiltrated her heart that it comes out in her prayer. And you can tie these specific statements to actual passages of Scripture. This would be another example of how the Bible is being prayed, albeit different from how Daniel did. I want you to look at maybe another more realistic example, or more uh, directly connected example, in the book of Acts. So turn just a, a couple books to the book of Acts, chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, we find two of the early disciples, the early apostles, Peter and John, before a council. And before this council, they have been tried, they've been persecuted, they were eventually released. In verse 23, we find that when they were released, this is Acts chapter 4, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, and then they quote from Psalm 2 and likely Psalm 146. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. And then they take their situation and they say, this is exactly what you said would happen. For truly, in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod 
and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan are predestined to take place. And then they go on to ask God to do things in reaction to that. But you can see with that what they're doing is they're praying, and they're praying the Bible. And then they're connecting their situation to the Bible. And then they're saying, God, do something like you said you would. Just one more example. This is found in Matthew chapter 27. Matthew 27, you don't have to turn here. Matthew 27, verse 46. Jesus is on the cross, and what we find is something that Jesus does a lot in his ministry. He prays straight Bible. From Psalm 22. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus made it a pattern of both speaking and referencing, alluding to Old Testament texts, and even in his prayer to directly quote Old Testament texts. So that what we find in the Bible is this kind of teaching, that if you want to learn how to pray, listen to the way that people pray in the Bible. And what they do is they pray the Bible. I don't know, I don't know about you, but that frees me up significantly in my own spirit, in my own heart. It takes away the complication of like, what should I say? And what should it sound like? And what should I emphasize? And what it allows you to do is put yourself under the word of God. It also does something else importantly, and that is it doesn't divorce prayer and reading. It puts them both together so that our reading is prayerful and our prayer is biblical. That's what I'm encouraging you today. Now, if it helps, let me just give you eight quick points, and then we'll actually look at some practical ways to put this into practice of why you should read the Bible. First of all, it helps you focus on what is most important. You remember the emphases that Jesus pointed out last week in Luke chapter 11, God's glory, our, our dependence on him. Even things that we wouldn't think to pray for, like justice for the poor. It may not be something on your own mind, and yet the Bible pushes those things to the fore. Secondly, it helps you focus on praying. Your eyes don't have to get distracted because you're not looking at anything but the text, right? You're actually looking at something in front of you. Thirdly, it helps you pray confidently. Because you're praying God's thoughts after him. You know that what you're praying is in line with what God will want. And you're mimicking biblical patterns. Fourth, it changes you while you're praying. Remember Romans 10, 17, that says that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And so as you're praying the word of Christ, God is building faith in your heart towards that word itself. Fifthly, it helps you express yourself accurately. I want you to do this right now just as an example, all right? If you would just find the book of Psalms, just thumb to it in your Bible, and just stop anywhere, all right? Now, what you're going to find is... The book of Psalms in particular, which we'll get to in a little bit here of where I'm going to suggest you start with this, is full of the kind of human experiences that we all face. Now, how many of you, if you were to just look at the first verse of the chapter you turn to, how many of you would say it's predominantly a, a, a verse or a section of rejoicing? Does anybody have something like that? All right, I have a couple of those. How many of you would say it's primarily a question to God? Anybody have something like that? I have that. Right? How many of you would say it's primarily a complaint or a concern or a need? How many of you have something like that? Okay, several of you. You can see how this just pulls at all the different experiences we have, the kinds of things that sometimes we're hesitant to pray. But it helps you express yourself accurately. It, in a sense, gives you permission to speak and open your full heart to God. There's things that are said in the book of Psalms that I'm almost hesitant to say, but it's there, and David said it to God, and so I can say it to God confidently. You have passages like Psalm 88, verse 14, where David says, 
O Lord, why do you cast away my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? Have you ever felt that way? You can pray those kinds of things confidently, praying the word of God. Sixthly, sixth, it, uh, it keeps your prayers fresh and specific. It's fresh because the Bible teaches you to pray for things that you may not have thought of. It emphasizes things that may never cross your mind. We'll get to that here in a little bit. And also specific. It, you can think about specific things that you need to pray about that, without doing mental gymnastics because it gives you really granular things to pray for. Seventh year, it keeps your prayers in biblical proportion. In biblical proportion. I remember a few years back, I went to an ordination course. So for those of you who don't know what that is, uh, when somebody wants to, to serve as a pastor, one of the things that is often done in biblical churches is that man is tested, both his doctrine and his practice. Can he defend the faith, which is a, a large part of the role, and can he practice the faith? At that ordination council, one of the people examining the, the person there, asked this question. He said, how do you ensure that you teach all of God's truth in proportion? How would you answer that? How would you make sure you teach all of God's truth in proportion? Well, he answered wisely, well, you teach all the Bible. And if you teach all the Bible, you'll teach it all in proportion, right? You don't just pick your favorite passages and go there over and over again. You teach all the Bible. There's a sense in which if you were to ask that same question about prayer, how do you make sure that your prayers expand the breadth that we find in the scriptures, in the Bible. Well, you pray all the Bible. You let your prayers be informed by all the word of God. Eighth, and finally here, as a help for motivation to pray the Bible, it helps you understand. God the Spirit wields your meditation to give you understanding. One of my favorite texts that connects our own meditation and the Spirit's work in us is 2 Timothy 2.7. Where Paul writes, he says, Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. It's actually by the process of meditation that God uses that. He wields it like a tool so that we can understand what God says. And not just understand intellectually, but understand spiritually. That is to agree with what God has said, to believe it. A famous preacher, Robert Murray Shane, said, Turn the Bible into prayer. This is the best way of knowing the meaning of the Bible and of learning I encourage you, if you say, you know what, I, I sense my need to grow in my prayer life, to start and maybe even stay here, to learn to pray the Bible. It will last you an entire life long. Now, you know the saying, give a man a fish, teach him for, or feed him for a day, teach a man to fish, and feed him for a life. Right? What am I tempted to do today is to really give you the tools you need to fish yourself. It'd be one thing just to simply say, emphasize these three or four things, but to hand you this book and say, learn to pray this, gives you everything you need for the rest of your life when it comes to prayer. And it gives you practical, handheld steps to actually know how to speak to God. Now, I hope this doesn't in, in embarrass uh, Kirby, but I'm going to use Kirby as an example here. It's his, him in a good light, me in a bad light. Uh, Kirby likes to fish, for any of you who know that. Uh, actually, he likes to catch. He doesn't fish. He catches, and it's true. Well, the first time Kirby took me out, he was trying to just, he didn't want to catch him for me. He wanted to show me how to do it, right? He didn't want to just hand me a fish. That wasn't the point. And so Kirby took his, his rod, and he threw it out, and he caught a fish like three seconds later. I was like, okay. So the stories are true. <laughs> so he hands it to me, and nothing, all right? So he, he comes back and says, well, let me show you. And so he starts talking about it, and he throws it in, and 
He's handing it to me, and he catches another fish. And I'm like, Kirby, did you pay these things? How, how is this happening? And so we go again, and he explains it to me again. He says, I'll go down the river a little bit. So he goes down the river, and I mean, 10 minutes, nothing. Same spot. He's like, move up here. So I move up here. Step in. OK, step in. Finally, he comes back. He says, OK, let me see. And he, he takes the rod from me. And I'm not kidding. He catches another fish. I'm like, Kirby, what's going on here? Well, Kirby's a good teacher. And uh, over time, we've gone a couple times now. He'll leave me alone and just let me wallow in my suffering. And I just try not to look to see how many he's catching. And uh, I have caught some fish now, all by my lonesome, right? Um, but Kirby, really, his intention there is not just to hand me a fish, right? It's to actually teach me how to do it. That's really what I hope to do here today as we kind of practice this today. So let me give you kind of three suggested methods. And some of these pattern themselves after those biblical examples we saw. First of all, I'd encourage you to pick patterned prayers. What I mean by this is to pray biblical prayers back to God. So for instance, the passage that Daniel read this morning was a biblical prayer in Ephesians chapter 3. To actually take that prayer and just verbatim, word for word, talk it back to God. Or maybe put it into your own words, but use the actual prayer itself as a really specific template. What you'll find is that when you do that, especially when you take passages like the Psalms, you'll find yourself praying for things you don't normally pray for. Or perhaps even more helpful, you'll find yourself praying for the same things you pray for in a different way. Secondly, I'd encourage you to pray like this, fellowship or interacting with God about the Bible. Maybe you would take an example like Acts chapter 4 like this, where they've read the Bible, they'll pray that back to God, and then they talk to God about their circumstance in relation to that text they just read. So interact with God about the Bible. So as you read, you, you take that and you say, now God, you said this here, and I've seen that in my own life, and it's hard for me to believe this, but you say it's true. What about this situation? And you're just fellowshipping with God over his word. What are better... What better thing to talk to God about than the words he gave you? Finally, another angle on praying the Bible would be this reflection. Sometimes I will do this. I'll read a section, and then I'll summarize in writing what it says and pray back to God. Maybe we could take Mary's example for this, where she so saturated her mind in the Bible that she can then take that and then talk to God about it and put it in her own words. Oftentimes, she's only alluding to passages, not quoting them verbatim. I had a friend who was studying a passage of uh, the Bible in seminary, and I asked him one day, I said, hey, what, what are you reading? He said, oh, I'm reading 1 Corinthians, I think it was 1 Corinthians 3, and I said, oh, okay. And I asked him like three weeks later, and I said, what are you reading? He said, oh, I'm still in 1 Corinthians 3. And I said, what do you do for three weeks in 1 Corinthians 3? And he said, I'll tell you what I do. He said, I just, I'll slowly work through it, and I talk to God about it. And then I work through a couple more passages, and I talk to God about it. And sometimes I can just be on this little section for three, four, or five, six days in a row, and I've never gotten so much out of the Bible and so much out of my prayer as I have when I just put them together like that. That's what I'm encouraging you to do here. So these are three examples of how you could do this that we've seen even in the biblical text. Now, if I were to encourage you with kind of a place to start, let me encourage you first of all with this quotation, and then the, the direction would be to go to the Psalms. This comes from a book called Praying the Bible. I actually brought it today. It's a little tiny book. Even if you don't like reading, it's, it's a really easy read, right? by Donald Whitley. He's been with the Navigators, I think, and some others. But I'd really encourage you to pick it up, and it's encouraging this exact practice of praying the Bible. He said, God gave the Psalms to us so that we would give the Psalms back to God in song. No other book of the Bible is inspired for that express purpose. And this is helpful for us because it gives us the, the language, the, the human experience language of actually talking to God about things going on in your life. 
So if I were to encourage you with a starting point, if you say, you know what, you've convinced me. I need to grow in my prayer life. Those problems sound like my problems. Those benefits sound like the things I need. Where do I start? If those three kind of general categories aren't helpful or not specific enough, let me encourage you to start with the Psalms themselves. We're going to actually do this together here in a moment. This is from his book and what he encourages, so I thought I would just take it verbatim from him on this slide. And that is to take a psalm a day. What he recommends is you take whatever day it is, like it's the 11th, right? And then you add 30 to it a few times. You scan all five of those, and you say, which one of these today do I want to pray to God? You'll find that some of them maybe are like imprecatory prayers, where you're actually like calling down God's judgment on somebody. You're like, I don't really feel that today. <laughs> all right, you'll find another one that you'll say, you know what, this is, this is describing somebody who really feels alone and abandoned by God. And you say, oh, that's not really me. You'll find another one where it's just pure praise of God. You say, you know what, that, that's what I want to be like today, but I'm not. Maybe I'll pick that one. That's what he suggests, and then you choose one of those to pray. So, for example, if we were to take Psalm 11, that would be the 11th, right? 41, 71, 101, and 131. You'd scale all of, scan all of those and then turn to one. So let's do that briefly. In fact, let's just turn to the book of Psalms. Psalms chapter 11. You'll notice here, he says, In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, Flee like a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They fitted their arrow to the string. To shoot in the dark, the upright in heart. So this is clearly him experiencing some kind of difficulty from others. And then talking to God about that. You say, okay, well, that may not be me today. Let's turn to then Psalm 41. Psalm 41. Blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. The Lord protects him and keeps him alive. He's called blessed in the land. You do not give him up to the will of his enemies. The Lord sustains him on his sickbed. In his illness, you restore him to full health. Now, how many of you today had that in your prayer list? I didn't. <laughs> I don't know that I've ever prayed like that. Maybe you say, you know what? This is something that should be part of the way I talk to God. So maybe today we'd say, let's take this as a pattern for us in prayer. He continues, as for me, I said, oh, Lord, be gracious to me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. Oh, he's not just talking about physical poorness or healing, but even spiritual. My enemies saved me in malice. When will he die and his name perish? And he's clearly now talking about some kind of situation that's happening. It continues on all the way through, like verse 11. By this I know that you delight in me. My enemy will not shout in triumph over me. Clearly, again, referencing some kind of pressure he's facing from the outside. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen. You say, you know what? Some of those things I would have not prayed for. I, I would have not thought to praise God for the way he cares for those who are down and outers, those who are sick, those who are even spiritually in a place of sickness. You can see how this shapes our prayers, and it helps us to talk about things that we wouldn't have otherwise talked to about God. It gives us grammar and language to know how to talk to God. And we know that if we speak these things, God, we could say it like this, God will hear us. We're speaking his words back to him. It's one of the express reasons God gave us, in particular, the Psalms themselves. Now, let me just point out a few other biblical examples, and I want to give you a few closing encouragements. And I trust that kind of this practical step-by-step -step application of the word to your prayer life gives you the kind of tools you need rather than just simply gives you a few pointers and outlines. What I'd like to do is to come back to um, this psalm as we, as we end here. 
If you say, you know what, okay, I get the Psalms, I, I want to do that, but what, else, what should I do for other passages of the Bible? Let me encourage you with some other ones. Some other biblical examples would be things like, you could take a narrative passage like Genesis 11. This is the Tower of Babel, where people rise up against God and you say, you know what, I'm going to use that, read through it, and then talk to God about how our world itself pushes back against God. I'm going to talk to God with this Bible in mind. So it is not primarily a news station informing you how you talk to God about the world around you. Instead, it's God's word. How did God respond to that? Was God in control in those moments? You see how even there, God's teaching you as you pray to him. Or perhaps you take something like a proverb, like Proverbs chapter 1, that primarily outlines the need for and the availability of wisdom in God's word. And you talk to God about your need for wisdom in whatever particular scenario you're facing today. Or perhaps you take a letter like Ephesians 1 that outlines salvation and gives God praise for it. Or Ephesians 3, an actual prayer that was read this morning in our hearing. Or Titus 1 that talks about life in the church and how that should look like, especially amongst people. Perhaps you take something like Revelation 22, a, a passage of prophecy that talks about the eternal state that we Christians will experience with the Lord. It teaches you to long for the eternal state and even include that in your prayers. Like Daniel to say, do what you said you would do, God. You see how by praying the Bible, it expands, it broadens your prayer life. And it gives you language to pray. It gives you guidance. You don't have to be inventive. What you have to do is follow what God has given you. Let me close with a few encouragements to you. And then we'll actually pray through a psalm itself as we close. I hope that these two weeks have reminded you of God's heart towards you. Nevermore let Satan use prayer as a weapon against you or as a club to beat you down spiritually. That is the opposite of God's heart towards you. When he speaks to you to encourage you to pray, it's an invitation. Which one of us today here says, you know what, I think I pray enough, and I pray well enough. <laughs> no one's raising their hand, right? All of us say, you know what, I need to, I want to grow in this. I feel myself lacking in prayer. So let God call you to pray. Don't pull away, don't shrink away if you sense in yourself a lack of prayer. Remember God's heart towards you. Perhaps for you, like we looked at last week, you say, you know what? I know I should pray. But it's remembering that God doesn't send me harmful things. That's what's caused my heart to seize up. Trust that Christ's own reflection on God's heart towards you will call you rather than push you away from it. Secondly, I encourage you to come to God like a student, ready to learn your prayer. What you'll find is the more you pray the Bible, the more you'll actually understand the way God thinks about you, the way that God responds to you. Especially when you pray narrative passages back to God, God, here's what you did for them. Here's how you responded when they sinned, when they pushed back against you. Here's how you called them back to you. Here's how you bless them, even though they didn't deserve it. God, would you do that for me? It actually teaches you the way that God interacts with people. So come to God like a student. Be ready to learn from him. He is the great teacher. Finally, one thing I hope today has not done is to cause you to ignore the same old thing. Right? Because we all have the same problems. Your problems haven't changed. Rather, I'm encouraging you to allow the text of the word of God change the way you talk to God 
about the same issues. The same issues you have, God approaches them from different angles. It's actually by taking advantage of the full breadth of the Word of God that allows you to talk to God accurately about His Word. In these two weeks, I hope that you both felt that call to pray and now have some tools to actually know how to develop in your prayer life, to know what to say, what to talk about, how to phrase it to God, how to speak to God about it. Let's turn, if we would, to Psalm chapter 1. We'll just start at the very beginning. And I'd like to use this as a bit of a template and pray here in front of you as an example of what this could sound like for you. You could, of course, just take a prayer itself and just talk it straight back to God, and that one is easy enough to do yourself. But I'd like to encourage you by taking something that's not built as a prayer and actually talking, praying out in front of you how I would encourage you to do yourself. You'll notice that it'll bring out things in my prayer that I wouldn't otherwise say. It'll bring out emphases that I wouldn't otherwise think of. And you, you can see how maybe even in your own situation you could apply this in different ways. For instance, before I pray, you can look down and see here, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners. Now, depending on what you're currently going through, this could take totally different paths, right? You bring something to this passage as you pray. And as you change, you'll find that the word changes you and interacts with your life differently. It's a living and a breathing thing. Perhaps for you, you're facing some kind of opposition right now because of your faith. You can see how that would pray these two verses way differently, right? Perhaps for you, you say, I'm not really facing that in any way, so it's more of just an intellectual fact. Like, God, yeah, people oppose you, it doesn't go well for them. Maybe you look down at like verse 3. He's like a tree planted by streams of water, this person who meditates on the Word of God. And maybe for you, you've realized for some time now that you've not pulled close to the Word of God, but instead of pulled yourself away. So maybe at this time, it's a time for confession for you. You say, God, the reason I haven't felt planted and secure in you is because I haven't been meditating on your Word. Forgive me for that. Or maybe for you, that morning, you felt that rich connection to God because of this kind of meditation. And instead of confession, it's praise for you. So you can see how you, connected with God's word in prayer, is always dynamically changing. God, in a sense, meets you when you come to his word and bring yourself to it. Let's then take these six verses as an example as we close. And I'll pray these in front of you like I would do myself. And again, depending on your situation, what's going on for you, this would change. But I'll pray it more corporately for us all. And then when I'm done, we'll have Nathan come and close us in a word of prayer. Let's pray Psalm 1. God, you say that the man is blessed who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Which one of us has not felt the pull to go our own way, to do our own thing, and even often convince ourselves that it's okay, that it's fine, that we're the exception? So help us to heed your word here. Help us to heed what you've said and not to make exceptions for ourselves. You tell us that the person who has success, who's blessed by you, who's shown divine favor, is somebody who delights in your word, in the law of the Lord, who meditates on your law day and night. We confess that so often we are not there. We want to be. We want to be people who delight in your word. We want to be people who meditate on your word day and night. And yet you know our hearts. You remember that we're dust. You remember our fickleness, our humanity. And so I pray that you would forgive us for the ways in which we've not delighted in your word. 
And even now, to give us the motivation, the spiritual insight to believe that this really is the path to success and, and blessedness. And then help us, even today, to delight ourselves in your law. To connect to you, to remember that it's your law. Not simply moral truths, but it's the words of the living God to us. Help us that when we wake up in the middle of the night, or when we go throughout our days, to be constantly meditating and thinking about your word. I pray that your word would be such a part of us that we pray like Mary. That our words in prayer would sound biblical, because they're saturated in that. We all want to be like this tree, a tree that is stable and secure, that, that yields fruit in the right season, that doesn't wither when hard times come, that prospers in everything that happens. So help us to believe that the path towards that, to that, is this kind of meditation on your word. I pray that today we would prize your word like this. We would encourage each other, even within community, to be people who read, that among our conversations with each other, that we would also talk about what we're reading, how you're nourishing us in the Word. Help us to build this kind of community here, that we would be people of the Word and people of prayer. Lord, we don't want to be like the wicked. We're thrown about with life. That when the hard times come, they just blow away like chaff in the wind. We want to be stable and rooted and secure. And so the path for that is this kind of meditation on your Word. Grow in our church this kind of spirit towards your Word. We know that so many who might call themselves godly, but who are devoid of any life in you, who do not know you savingly, they will not be able to stand in the judgment. They won't be able to be with your congregation of righteous people. And you know, Lord, you know our way. You know the troubles that sometimes accompany that. It's very possible that many in this room are facing those kinds of pressure because of their connection to you. So help them to remember that you see, you have experienced that pain. You know that the way of the wicked will perish. And so help us, even now, to have compassion on those who are outside of the faith. To not shrink back, but to speak boldly for Christ. Because we know the end for those who do not know you is so painful. It is described here as perishing. So grow in our church, grow in our hearts, a, a love for us passion for those around us who do not know you. I pray, God, that you would help us to learn to pray like this, to bring ourselves to the Word, and to bring the Word to ourselves, to not divorce prayer and reading, but rather to learn how to read by praying and learn how to pray by reading. That you would help us to draw close to you. And then in all of this, that we would remember your heart towards us. These spiritual disciplines are not mere duties to perform. They're an invitation from the living God to commune. And so help us commune like this, we ask in Christ's name.